They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.e forward slash music. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is Carolyn Martinez, author of Inspiring IVF Stories and Finding Love Again, Seven Things You Need to Know Before You Date Again. Um, Carolyn, welcome. Sorry, Finding Love. <laughs> welcome, Carolyn. Thank, thank you, Maggie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So before we begin chatting, um, can I ask you to just read a little from Finding Love? Sure. I'll, um, the, the book's broken into three sections. Uh, it's broken up into theory. It's got some shared stories and it's got some self-reflection exercises. But today I think I might read one of the first shared stories. Um, this is Ben's story. Ben is a 46-year-old ambulance officer and he talks about marrying young, divorce and the experiences he's had along the way that showed him he used to play at the role of being husband rather than being honest with himself. So these are, these are the beginning, this is the beginning of Ben's story in his words. I had just turned 30 when my marriage broke up. I think it's normal for everyone to be obsessive about something after a major breakup. Some people choose sex, some drink, some drugs, some talk the ear off anyone who'll listen. I chose exercise. To centre myself, I went to the gym twice a day. Doing physical activity allowed me to be obsessive about something without wallowing, and that was important to me. I was 17 years old when I met my first wife, and we married when I was 23. It was a, I was a fairly reserved individual back then, having come from a strict Catholic upbringing. My father was a hard man from a long line of hard men. Back in the 80s, as a teenager discovering myself, I went through a stage where I had streaks in my hair. That was apparently a sign to my dad that I was gay. He punched me a few times and said we didn't have homosexuals in our house. My mum was dominant. She ran the family. I was close to my mum, but she died when I was 13. Outwardly, I look gregarious and energetic, but inside I'm a cautious person and have difficulty creating a bond with people. I left home at 18 years of age to forge my own life. I was searching for who I was. Back in the 80s, I was quite innocent and I became a paramedic to save lives. I met my first wife at a party. She pursued me through her brothers. It was difficult for my best friend because he had an enormous crush on her at the time, but she set her eyes on me, not him. She was blonde, buxom, and did some page three type modelling for the local newspaper. In her mind, she saw herself as a penthouse pet and quite the catch. My best friend thought she was fantastic. I was somewhat oblivious to all this. She later told me that just before we got married, he came to her house and asked her if there was any chance for them. She answered the door in a towel. That's the way she tells the story. I know that he was very keen on her and she did like attention. I'm prone to theatrics at times, so when she told me this, I confronted him saying, Judas sold his soul for 13 pieces of silver. What was your price? He was devastated. Because of my upbringing, I was the type of man who would attach his wagon to something that wasn't quite right just to get along. I've since learned that this is living a shadow of yourself rather than actually being yourself. There were moments in my marriage when I should have set boundaries, but I was still discovering myself and didn't do so. That's why now I talk about a journey of self-discovery. Because I wasn't true to myself back then, there came a time, later on, when I was suddenly forced to confront all the things that weren't right. 
My wife and I both did very well in our careers. We mirrored our promotions quite closely and in hindsight I would say that there was unhealthy competition between us. At one stage we were both studying and working and opportunities began opening up for each of us. My career started taking me away from home. I was driving two hours each way to get to work and doing shift work. In relationships, space can be a good thing but it can also be a bad thing, especially if you're young and not being totally honest with each other and with yourselves. My wife started capitalising on that space. There was an uncomfortable moment when a guy turned up on my door to have what I would call a date to go to the beach with my wife for the day. He was just as uncomfortable as I was. Rather than expressing to me that there were problems in our marriage, I think she expressed it to her male friends. That was an unusual moment in our marriage for me to navigate through. In reflection, I should have insisted, what is this all about? I did, but she said none of your business, and I simply accepted that, and we continued on with our charade. We went overseas for a month-long holiday, and on day two, I could tell she was miss somewhere, sorry, missing someone, and that someone clearly wasn't me, because I was there. We had an emotional and explosive conversation, but we didn't cry, which in reflection was a bad sign. We talked about what we should do. In my view, I was overseas, and I wanted to finish my holiday, so we did, but it was uncomfortable, and we slept in separate beds. I think I might finish there, Maggie. Um, ben talks on a little bit more about his breakup, but then he goes on to explore what it was like to be single and how he did find love again and what he learnt from his first relationship, and it's one of my favourite chapters in the book. Mm, yeah, I, there's some, some, I guess, common themes come out in that particular anecdote and I, I am glad you you chose to read um, you know one of the stories because it seems to me that that there's a lot of truth in those stories um, you know that's a, it's a very powerful way of, of creating something to, to look at a number of people's stories and then see what they're telling us in mass yes and I, I I interviewed both men and women and I really enjoyed listening to the perspectives of the male and female view on a similar topic. Um, most of the time I've interviewed a male or a female from a different relationships, but there's twice in the book where I interview both a current husband and wife, and it's quite riveting reading, um, just looking at the different perspectives and looking at how men and women approach things differently. And um, Ben in particular was a particularly reflective man, and... I learned a lot about my relationship interviewing him, which was what made him one of my favorite chapters. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, one of the things he does say, which I, I did find um, was a common theme, was this idea of, of self-awareness, um, you know, the shadow self that, that starts to develop in a, a relationship and, uh, and, you know, getting beyond that. Yeah, it, it was a common theme that uh, people, younger people, People who went into a relationship, uh, their first relationship, and then I interviewed later when they were in their second, um, a common theme was that they ended up with somebody who they were physically attracted to and probably had a lot of good laughs with and uh, married them because everything was fun. But later on, as life progressed, their critical core values weren't always aligned and it created problems later. Um, but those just aren't things that we think about when we necessarily first fall in love. Unless your book is available. <laughs> That's it. I um, I have. I found myself single myself in at age 32 after being with someone for 14 years, and uh, I've 
gone and written the book that I wished I had been able to read when I was 32. <laughs> Or better yet, when I was 23. <laughs> now, I, I did, I like Ben too, um, and I can't remember the name of who it was, but there was one male that you interviewed that I didn't like. Um, did, did, you, did you find, did you ever have an experience, either with the people who you ended up um, publishing their stories or, you know, maybe stuff that you left out, that there were some people you were talking to thinking, this, <laughs> I can understand why this person had, had difficulties. Well, I actually didn't publish those stories. There were I, I was surprised when I interviewed when I when I first decided to write the book. Um, I put out advertisements for people who wanted to be involved in the book. Um, just a an interesting sidebar for other writers here. I find when I go and ask somebody if they want to be involved, the interview is not as open and comprehensive as when I put it out there, what I want to do, and I allow people to come to me. Um, sometimes when you cold call um, two people, they do it because they feel they have to, but when people come to you of their own volition, they're ready to talk about their story. Mm. Um, and... But I thought when I put out the advertisements and people came to me that I would simply interview people and find out what they learnt from their first marriage and why their second marriage was better for it. But not everybody I interviewed had learnt anything, really. Um, some, some people had simply made the same mistakes again or they had looked for someone the complete opposite of the first person they were with, but in doing so they... they didn't capitalise on good things that were in their first marriage and they, they hadn't actually identified who they were and what they were about. So they found themselves in a second marriage with just as many problems as the first but simply different problems. So the, the people that I did choose to publish uh, mostly were because they were very good at self-reflecting and they had learnt that very important lesson that the research backs up that you need to know your critical core values or no matter how much fun you might have with somebody, it's, it's very probable it'll break down later. I did choose to also publish a couple of single people, maybe even three or four, who were still single and still looking because I wanted readers who were in the midst of um, the, the uncertainty to hear other people speak who were still in that uncertain stage and we're still working through it because I, I the, the book's about friendship. So I think reading the book is like sitting down with 21 friends. Mm. Um, and I suspect that the gentleman that you didn't like is somebody who um, has admitted that he's gone out and made the same mistakes again. Is that correct? I think that's, that is correct, yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. And he was a, I, I chose to interview him because people do often get stuck and I wanted to show that it's, it's, um, it does happen. Mm. And I actually found him a really interesting interviewee because as a person, he's very charismatic and funny and everyone around him has a great time. And when I interviewed him, there was so much going on inside him that was really quite sad and distressing. And it... it it actually reinforced the point to me that we need to have conversations with our friends to see where they're at and how they're going because you, you, you can't always judge from the outside what's going on inside someone. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the, the notion of a conversation because I, I think in a way, and you've alluded to this, both of your books are 
like being able to explore through other people, you know, who you are and, and how you feel about particular topics. I mean, do you think it really helps to, you know, to basically to look at these stories and say, you know, I know all these, none of them are experts. And, and there, of course, there is expertise as well behind it. But none of these people are expertise, but they're people like me. You know, I can see myself in them and I can see the mistakes I've made and the things that have worked. And it does feel a little bit like, you know, you're sitting down and, and exploring stuff with somebody else. Yes, I, I think it's very Australian to uh, like to have a laugh at ourselves. And I know I learn better when I can take an ironic look at something I'm doing and have a bit of a laugh and then learn the theory in addition to that other than somebody just telling me what I need to do. Um, knowing that someone else has been in the same situation and got through it fine and uh, learnt something rather incredible and went on to something magical, that that's more like something that I personally can be attracted to and bond with and engage with than going somewhere and having a professional tell me this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. And do you think it was cathartic as well and helpful for the interviewees? I mean, did they learn while they spoke? Uh, they did. I, um, I was surprised by the response I got. I had quite a few uh, emailing and phoning me later and thanking me for the experience of being able to talk so much about their situation and their life and what they believe in. Um, in general, people like to talk, so you go through life um, having conversations with people who want to talk more than they want to listen in general, and it's not often that someone will sit down and just listen to you for eight hours. So they all found it quite cathartic to get everything out. And then we we talk sometimes in a way that we can't hear what we're actually saying. So there were situations where when they read back what they had said to me, they were quite surprised at perhaps the negativity that they were expressing or or they, they didn't realise they were talking in that manner all the time. So they were having they were able to sit back and have a fresh look at their situation and make some conscious decisions of what they wanted to do with that information and where they wanted to go. Um, in particular, I interviewed a lady who had been experiencing domestic violence mm -hmm. and she was out of that situation but she had been out of the situation five or six times before and gone back to it. Um, she wrote to me and said that reading in black and white what had happened was really giving her the strength to stay out of that situation now. And I interviewed her about two years prior to today and I actually spoke to her about a month ago and she hasn't gone back and she's doing really well. So I'm quite proud of that. Mm. Yeah, so Deep listening, it's a, uh, it, it's a skill that maybe, you know, isn't all that common nowadays. Would you say that's kind of the, the basis for a lot of your writing or most of your writing? Yes, there's, um, I am a good listener in general and being an interviewee, I, I, I personally, because I've been interviewed myself and um, once I was horrified at what got written, <laughs> I'm quite kind to the people that I interview and, and I listen and I, I let them read what I'm going to publish before it's published as well. Um, 
so they trust me. They know that that's going to be the process. They trust me to get it right. And if I haven't got it right the first time, that they're going to have a chance to further explore a situation with me. Um, so people were really open with me. A, a lot of people who've read the book have expressed surprise at just how open about um, what they're really thinking and feeling people have been. Um, they've, they've shared they've shared things with me that you just generally don't share with people mm. and I suppose once you get it out it's a lot less black too isn't it you know it's, it's absolutely it's not the secret secret ugliness that you have to carry around it actually just becomes something that lots of people experience yes and and that generally is the case sometimes we we might be quite embarrassed about something from our past but um I, I think most people have things in their past that they're proud of and not so proud of and um, the key is in learning and moving forward and becoming stronger. Yeah. So talk to me a little about the writing process. Um, how did you come up with the structure and pull it all together and you know, what, what, what I, path um, you took? Well, I started writing when I was 16 and I'm 44 now and I've just published my second book. I was saying for 20 years I'm going to write a book and uh, it's actually a lot harder than it sounds. Um, because I'm a journalist, I ended up with my first book uh, and, I, and I was working full-time too, so it's, it's, it's really hard to sit with characters for a year while you write a book, while you're holding down a full-time job and doing everything else that you do in life. Um, the way I was able to get my first book done, I, che I treated every chapter like its own feature article so in my first book inspiring IVF stories um, I interviewed 23 people across Australia and each chapter is a complete story um, so by I, I have readers heard the listeners sorry heard the term chunking down it's when you've got a big goal it's insurmountable and you break it down into tiny pieces I gave myself a goal with my first book of every two weeks writing one feature story and I ended up with 23 feature stories that um, then with uh, connecting chapters became a book and that's how I was able to write my first book. And is that the process you followed with Finding Love as well? It is. I have mm. done it again. Um, because people people found interesting in my first book what I found interesting also and it was reading the male and female perspectives on the same issue and being able to read a book that's an easy read and each chapter that you read is a story and you feel satisfied after each chapter um, we're all very busy now and it can be nice sometimes to lay in bed at night and read a chapter and have have been um, intrigued and have your intrigue met before you fall asleep so yes I, I have done that a second time with this book yep. and, and what would you say you're most proud of in finding love um, not in general because I can guess that answer already <laughs> <laughs> um I'm proud that my second book is a better book than my first. Um, I'm not saying my first book was bad, but writing books is, uh, it's really not, not easy. And um, I hired a professional editor this time. And the first time I wrote Finding Love, I was so proud of it. And I sent it to my editor and he pulled it to pieces and, not the writing, but the um, structure and content that I'd put in the book. And he really challenged me to take it from a good book to a great book. Um, it, personally, it was a really difficult process to go to go through. He, um, 
I'm an editor myself, so to get knocked around so much by another editor <laughs> um, made me question whether I was actually a writer. And uh, I stopped writing for six months, but when I sat back and reflected on what he'd said and what he'd suggested, um, I went back and I rewrote the book again, and his suggestions did make great changes, and, and I am really proud of the book that it is now. Mm. And I'm kind of proud of surviving that process because I nearly gave up. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose it's a learning curve. I mean, with every book you feel, you, you know, you, you go through such a deep learning curve that it's it's almost like, a you know, each one is an apprenticeship to the next. You do. And I, I do want to um, – I'm a big supporter of well-written books. I'm, I'm kind of a little horrified at – how easy it is for people to publish ebooks now and that not everybody is using professional editors and and getting books well proofread and you can pick up books now that have got spelling mistakes in it and that absolutely horrifies me <laughs> i um i i like to learn from each book and and try and be better at my craft each time so was there anything that surprised you in reader response um so far I have because there's people connected to me who wanted to read the book who weren't necessarily single so chose the book for its topic I have been surprised by the amount of people who are in relationships who've come to me and said wow I, I really learnt a lot out of that I'm going to get my husband to read it <laughs> so they that has um that's been a little surprising I, I did think only single people would be interested in reading it but um, in hindsight, it makes sense because we I interviewed a relationships educator and she pr provides some excellent insights into the theory behind what makes a successful relationship mm. and things that we need to do while we're in a relationship to keep it alive and healthy and long. Yeah, for sure. I certainly found that um, when I read the book. So um, let's talk about Hawkeye Publishing. Um, what made you start it and, and how's that grown even beyond the, the two releases of yours? Sure. I, um, Hawkeye Publishing started in 2002 as a newspaper publisher in North Brisbane. Um, I had a community newspaper for four years and when I finished that, I when I sold that, I moved into corporate writing so I kept my company name. But I, I, I don't think you know this, Maggie, but I just recently took on two partners into Hawkeye a couple of months ago and we are going to branch out now into publishing uh, non-fiction and fiction titles for other people, other authors, and we're, we're concentrating on titles that explore topical social issues. Um, so that's quite an exciting phase. I've, I'm just starting to advertise now that we're accepting manuscripts. Fantastic. That is exciting. And scoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, which brings me, brings me to my next question, um, Carol, and I have to ask you this because, you know, you're branching out with publishing. You've got a new release now um, and you've got two young, super young children, including a baby just old, over three months, who I must add is being incredibly quiet. <laughs> I, I I um miraculously got them both to sleep just before this interview. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Well done. Um, so uh, you know you at least from the outside anyway, it doesn't appear that you've missed a beat in your promotional work. Um, what's the secret? Um, oh, it's not easy. I um I actually do. Uh, 
I, when when I well when I first gave up uh, full time work and was just looking after the kids and trying to write, um, I yeah I didn't write at all. It's uh, I guess you learn as you go along a few shortcuts here and there, and <laughs> you can um, gather some space and get into routines. And I've now got both kids sleeping at twelve, so I tend to get a couple of hours of writing in there. Um, breastfeeding on the left side while you write with the right I've certainly learnt a lot about life but people are really nice I'll tell you about something that happened to me just this morning if you don't mind I went to Bunnings and had to pick up a can of I went to Bunnings to pick up a can of paint I've got somebody coming to wire uh, the paddock fence this afternoon if I don't paint it beforehand it'll be hard to paint it later and when I went in they'd run out and um, I said oh no I've got two kids I can't put them back in the car again and um, the staff at Bunnings actually went to the nearest store and got the paint and brought it back to me because they the stuff I was talking to both had kids themselves and know how hard it is and I, I just I was flabbergasted I couldn't believe they did it for me but it was so lovely mm. and um I, other other parents understand how hard it is they do help you out where they can <laughs> yeah but I think maybe there's something about you as well <laughs> that kind of draws people together I mean that, that's something that came out at the launch um, this idea of drawing people together, creating almost creating instant communities um, where you go. <laughs> so, uh, do you think that's kind of the underlying principle of your books as well, creating those I, kind of support communities? I do like that community feel. I um, I, I guess I, I've had a pretty profound event happen in my life earlier. Twelve years ago, my sister died, and I was quite isolated in my grief, and um. That what that was really bad for my health, and and since then I've I've changed my attitude, and I'm I'm a big believer in teamwork now and community and supporting each other, and you can cope a lot better with things if you've got um, good community support around you, and I I guess ever since that experience and those few years where I was quite isolated, I've I have changed my attitude and approach to life, and I like bringing people out to experience community and not isolating themselves away in sad thoughts mm. um if you when when you're sharing things things are just not as hard mm. yeah so uh, could that be an underlying principle of hawkeye public publishing as it's um you know transforming now it is yes it's um that that's why I'd like that's why we're focusing on topical social issues um, because we want to start conversations about things that are affecting people today mm. so what's what's in the pipeline I mean you, I, I can't imagine that you've actually started on a new book but is there is there something you're kind of tentatively edging towards researching or will you be focusing on the on publishing now um, I have I, I am talking to a couple of people at the moment about co-authoring with their books. There's a, there's a couple of people who aren't writers who've got a really good story to tell and they've been trying to write their book. Um, and as they're learning, it's not as easy as it sounds. So I, I am considering co-authoring on a couple of books that I really believe in what they're talking, what they're, what they're writing about. Um, one is... One lady is an egg donor who's donated to several families to start help infertile couples uh, start a family, um, and her her story is extremely intriguing. Um, 
I am well, the other one's probably a bit too early to talk about. I'm not sure if it'll come to fruition, but yeah, that that one probably will. Mm. Wonderful. And um, where can listeners go to find out more about your books? Um, HawkeyePublishing.com.au. Perfect. All right. Um, we're, we're in. We're in all the major ebook stores now. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining us today. And uh, and listeners, don't miss our next episode when we interview Ouyang Yu, author of Fainting with Freedom. Bye for now. Thank you, Maggie. Bye-bye.